This is the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Uh, Jeremy and I have started a new mission, I say, in regards to this podcast, and we're going to start interviewing um, pastors and mission partners in the Sierra Pacific Synod. And, and we're doing this with the goal of having clergy and lay folks kind of get to know different ministries in our synod right now. And so uh, we thought a great person to have on for our first interview is Pastor Ben Cullahan of Faith in Chico. Uh, ben, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here. Considering how distinguished your previous guests have been, uh, I'm kind of like, what in the world am I doing here? But uh, I'm delighted to be here. So thanks. Well, I think people are about to find that out, Ben, because I, <laughs> uh, you are highly esteemed in my book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, ben, why don't you just uh, uh, tell us, uh, do you have any like favorite childhood memories? Oh yeah. Get to know you a little bit. Um, I think one of my favorite childhood memories is uh, walking after school in middle school. Uh, so um, in middle school, I lived in a little town in Eastern Oregon called Milton Freewater. And um, I had a dog. And so every day after school, I'd walk my dog. And I would usually walk my dog one of two places. Um, one was there was this uh, old pioneer cemetery. So the Milton Freewater is al along the Oregon Trail. Um, and it's this tiny little town surrounded by wheat fields. And just a few blocks from my house, wheat fields start. And if you walked up into the wheat fields a little bit, there was a cemetery that, you know, the, the pioneers who settled the place uh, used. And so there's graves there from the late 1800s. And I would walk my dog up there pretty much every day. Uh, and my dog was a whippet. And so she would, you know, run 35 miles an hour just in tearing circles around there. Uh, and I would I would stand up there and it overlooked the city and I would just be by myself and I would talk to God. And, um, and so on the days that I didn't do that, I would, um, my best friend, his name's Aaron, he had a paper route. And so on the days I didn't go up there, I would walk his paper route with him, with my dog. And we would, you know, honestly, it was my introduction to theology. He is, he's a pastor's kid. This is how I was introduced to Lutheranism. Um, and so like we would walk around and he'd ask me questions, right? Like I'm 11 years old. He asks me, what do you think about abortion? I'm like, I've never, what? Uh, you know, or like sex before marriage. And I'm like, what are you like? Okay. Uh, and so we're like delivering papers and walking my dog and having really deep conversations. Um, and, and I think those experiences not only are some of my favorite from my childhood, but deeply shaped who I am to this day. Indeed. That, that's so interesting because uh, it's it's funny how conversations can shape you in that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, I, I just had this um, experience yesterday uh, it's a secondhand experience, but we did an art and wine fair at, mm. uh, in San, it's called the San Carlos art and wine fair. And our church decided to have a booth and this like five-year-old kid comes up and talks to one of my parishioners and says, yeah. uh, through the moms, like, I want to know more about God. Ah. And so it put the parishioner on the spot. What is she going to say? You know? And, and, and so the parishioner, she's recounting the story to me. She says, 
I told him, here's what you need to know. God loves you mm. no matter what. Man. You are unconditionally loved by God. And because of that, we get to love each other the same way God loves us. That's what you need to know about God. And I just went, that was, she's like, did I do okay? Like, I don't know what else. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So it's funny. So yeah. hopefully that's a formative childhood memory for this right. child, just like you had Aww. in, you know, uh, in those kind of conversations with people. Yeah. So Ben, you mentioned that, that it was your introduction to Lutheranism. Mm. Um, you didn't grow up Lutheran? No, no, no. So tell, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh man, I grew up so many different things. Uh, my mom is from Mexico. Uh, so I was actually baptized in a Roman Catholic church down in Mexico. And I think uh, like Josh, you know, my my mom, <laughs> when I when I got the job up here, she, she sent this up so I would, you know, remember my roots. Uh, Absolutely. But, yeah, spent a lot of time in the Roman Catholic church growing up. Uh, my mom is also very much a spiritual seeker. And so for a year, we attended a Baha'i temple. Uh, we would go to a Greek Orthodox church to get icons and have them blessed. She paid people to organize our house in accordance to Feng Shui, like literally paid consultants to come through and, and chart out our whole house. Um, she had me go through a Lakota manhood initiation sweat lodge ceremony when I was 13. Uh, yeah, right. There's I, This was in wow. New Mexico. There's no Lakota down there. She like literally flew in a shaman for a weekend <laughs> to, so that me and two of my buddies could have this experience. Um, and then my dad, my dad's Episcopalian. And uh, when I lived in that little town in Eastern Oregon, Milton Freewater, you know, churches do everything in a town that size. And so um, I was part of a Seventh-day Adventist orchestra. And Saturday mornings, I would play at their worship services, part of a Mormon Boy Scout troop and a Baptist youth group. Yeah, and then, you know, by meeting uh, this guy, Aaron, uh, and through having conversations with him, and then obviously, right, uh, an 11-year-old who's having these conversations, it's because his parents are having these kind of conversations. And so I would go hang out at his dad's house, uh, who's a Lutheran pastor, and I'd have all these questions about religion. And he was great. He's like, yeah, let's talk about it. And, you know, I'd be like, so I see the Baptists do this and the Catholics do that. What's like the difference? And he'd be like, well, this is their theology. And so that's what they do. And he'd be like, as a Lutheran, this is what I think. And so this is what we do. And what do you think? Um, and that that sort of conversational, uh, relational experience. Right? Like I, I never thought to myself, oh, yeah, I want to I mean, eventually I thought to myself, I want to sign up for this theology, but that wasn't until college. You know, at mm. the time I was just like, I want to hang around these people. They're really cool. Mm. Yeah. So I started attending a Lutheran church there, but you know, I didn't think of myself as Lutheran until well into college. Yeah. Did you, uh, where'd you go to college at? Went to college at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the motto of which is communism, atheism, free love. <laughs> the, the, I had no idea, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, it started as a joke in the 1930s, but it stuck. And so, like, they print it on everything, like, you know, it's on the logos and all sorts of stuff. Uh, although the joke now is the student body has mellowed and it should be socialism, agnosticism, safe sex. 
<laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, once again, a very formative place to go to college uh, because let's say Christianity was not received well there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, wait, you're a Christian? Uh, like, why are you a Christian? And and I had to really spend a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. And then you did you do seminary right after college or? I'm a, I'm a pipeliner uh, straight yeah. from college to seminary. Yep. And you did that and work. Where, where did you go? Oh, well, PLTS here in the Sierra Pacific Synod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't stay here, right? Like you, I want you. No, my first call was in Brooklyn, New York, and I was uh, out in Brooklyn. I was there for four and a half years. I was a mission developer slash redeveloper, um, and so I I was in the neighborhood that's of Brooklyn called um, the South Side of Williamsburg. Now, Williamsburg itself is a very hip, gentrified neighborhood in Brooklyn. But the south side of Williamsburg is this interesting liminal space. It's predominantly uh, Puerto Rican and a Dominican neighborhood. Um, but on the so the north of it is a bunch of hipsters in North Williamsburg, and south of it in South Williamsburg is a bunch of Hasidic Jewish folks. Hmm. Um, and right in between, you get this uh, Latino community. Um, and so I was, uh, you know, trying to redevelop a congregation there called St. Paul's. Um, a Spanish-speaking congregation. When I arrived, there were 10, 15 people on a Sunday morning um, in a giant building, right? It's a three-story brick building, uh, takes up, you know, a quarter of a city block, uh, built in 1884 by German immigrants, and just absolutely, literally crumbling, yeah. Mm. Um, And then, so ministering to that community, and then also trying to reach out to the, you know, to the newcomers, to the English-speaking gentrifiers. And I did a lot of, I tried to do a lot of that through arts ministry, a lot of interactive, collaborative art making as worship. Yeah. Like on Sunday mornings, you would do like collaborative art? Is that Yeah, well, well Sunday afternoons, because Sunday mornings, you know, I had a tradition, like, you know, it was one of these things that was like whiplash, where Sunday morning... Spanish-speaking service, right? It, indistinguishable from a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all wearing robes, right? The the acolytes are swinging incense. Uh, there's candles. There's a you know Virgin of Guadalupe up there, um, and then yeah, in the afternoons, uh, this sort of avant-garde art ministry called Parables would happen in the bell tower. So, and one of the first things I did was went up into the giant bell tower you know it's up five stories or whatever just cleared out all the junk and all the pigeon poop that was in there and turned it into this really cool intimate space in which we would make art together and you know it changed a lot over the years but I think one of the most common structures of it is we would start we had sort of a, a liturgy of welcome and we would light candles together um and then we would do, we would check in, right? We do highs and lows. Keep in mind, it's never more than like 12 people. Um, and then we would read a passage of scripture and I would I would bring art um, from artists throughout time and around the globe that, you know, reflected the scriptural passage. And we would talk about sort of, you know, what the artists were taking away from the passage with their art. 
and then um and then essentially we'd have like 20 minutes uh where people could make art uh based on their own reflection of the scripture and we had a bunch of art supplies up there right we had clay and pastels and watercolors and all sorts of stuff um and then at the end we would come back and people would share the art that they had made and and what it was saying to them about the scriptures and where it connected with their life uh, and then we would close in, in prayer for each other. Gosh, what a I cool really like idea. That idea. Thank uh. you. Oh, yeah. And we'd have communion in there, too. I forgot. Yeah. Isn't there, isn't there something about, like, weird spaces that people really like to be in? Like, I was just explaining to my congregation that, like, our youth group would really prefer to be in the basement. Sure. You yeah. know, yeah, like yeah. Th they would prefer that space. And well, yeah. And there's, you know, um, having gone to PLTS, I had Dr. Michael Ani as my liturgy professor. Uh -huh. And his first liturgical law was the architecture always wins. Architecture always wins. I remember yeah. that law. <laughs> totally. And I thought about that a lot, especially in Brooklyn. And so, it's, you know, this giant cavernous building, if you've got 12 people in a room that's built to hold 300, it feels so awkward. Right. And so I was constantly trying to find little uh, nooks and crannies in the space where, you know, it was sized appropriately to yeah. the number of people that we had. Um, and, and like, look, it, lots of problems with it, right? Um, in no way ADA compliance. Uh, to try to climb up, you know, five stories right. into a bell tower. Um, none of New, like basically all of New York is not ADA compliant. Um, but yeah, for for certain people, I would try to use different spaces in ways that I, I thought would would bring out um, their creativity and make them feel more comfortable. Um, there's a lot more I can say about my time in Brooklyn. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about. Yeah, well, well, how long have you been serving at Faith in Chico for now? So yeah, right now I'm in Chico, California, and I've been here just over seven years. Wow. Whoa. It's been seven that's, years. Or... It's actually the longest I've lived anywhere. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And and do you um, you also serve as the conference dean? I do. Right? I do serve as right. the conference dean. I've done that for a little over a year now. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to talk to you about your, your church, but what are your duties as a dean? Yeah, so that's a great question. So yeah, I serve as the Dean of Conference One, uh, the Redwood Mountain Conference, the number one conference. Um, my duties as, as Dean, you know, I think of myself essentially as a liaison between congregations and the larger synod. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if congregations have a question about the larger synod, I'm their first point of contact. Um, you know, practically what that usually means is, especially when uh, a congregation doesn't currently have a pastor and they want to try to understand our synodical structure, uh, especially as they're trying to go through the call process, right? I'm the first point of contact for them. And, and a lot of my work is spent helping congregations through the mobility process, through, through discerning and calling a new pastor. Um, and so part of that is, you know, helping them get their paperwork in order, advising them on, you know, 
when they're putting together a ministry site profile that pastors are going to read to consider whether or not this is a place they want to go, I can coach them because I'm a pastor, right? I, I know what pastors are looking for in that paperwork, and I know what pastors are scared off by in that paperwork. And it's important to be honest, but you can also be honest in a way that's more or less inviting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then a large part of my role is I meet with the other deans twice a month. And collectively, we look at the, the paperwork of pastors who are interested in finding a call in the Sierra Pacific Synod. And we read that paperwork together and we talk about what it appears the different uh, strengths and gifts each pastor would bring to our synod would be and the type of congregation where they would be most successful. Uh, and then we read together through all the paperwork of the congregations who are looking for pastors. And what we do is we try to create slates of candidates for each congregation. Um, and to do that, of course, uh, we, we call up the potential pastors and we call up the congregations and we try to sell them on, hey, this is why you should consider this person or this congregation. We think they might be a great fit. Now, of course, ultimately, those congregations and those pastors have to interview each other and discern mm -hmm. for themselves. Uh, but we're trying to uh, grease the wheels on that process. Sure. Yeah. I, I like sense. the way you framed that at the very end, Ben, because um, I think sometimes congregations don't recognize that the pastor is also interviewing them. 100%. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. you know, it's very much, uh, um, I compare it to like a marriage, right? Yeah. Where there's two people, uh, they both have to be invested and committed. And look, uh, there are lots of wonderful people in this world. Doesn't mean they're the right person for you. Right. Um, and lots of great pastors out there, lots of great congregations out there. But finding the two that fit each other is the tricky part. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, all right. Tell us about Faith Lutheran in Chico. Yeah. So Faith Lutheran is a community reflecting God's love with a place at the table for everyone. That's our mission <laughs> statement. Uh-huh. Awesome. Um, and right, there's there's three parts to that, right? A, a community. And to say, first and foremost, we think of ourselves as a community, right? We don't think of ourselves primarily as a business, though we are. We don't think of ourselves primarily as uh, a nonprofit organization, though once again, we are. We are first and foremost a community, and a community is a network of relationships of mm. people who know each other and care about each other and love each other. Um, but we're a community that's called to reflect God's love. Um, and that means our community is, doesn't exist just for us. It exists for the sake of the world, especially for our local community here in Chico and the surrounding Butte County. Uh, and so, and I'll get into this in a little bit, right? But we we strive to find ways in which um, our existence helps others know about the love of Jesus um, in word and deed. Um, and then finally, uh, with a place at the table for everyone. And so uh, we certainly aren't always successful, but our goal is to be intentionally inclusive, um, right? We're a reconciling in Christ congregation. Um, we have conversations about race and um yeah we you know try to make sure that uh un unlike the congregation in brooklyn that i served uh that we try to be as ada compliant and as accessible as we can be to people with different physical needs yeah mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's our mission statement. And we live that out. Um, I've actually, uh, can I share screen? Is that something I can do here? No, no, we, no. no. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll just tell you about it then. We have a, a vision wheel uh, and it's, it's a virtuous circle. And it's the first step is to be welcomed in worship. So we say, right, most people experience life in our congregation uh, by joining us for worship on a Sunday. And we want to make sure that uh, they feel welcomed in that experience. And so we've got a whole welcome team and uh, like they stand outside so that when people come in in the parking lot, there are people to greet them, uh, to show them where to go. We have um, name tags, beautiful name tags made for every person who worships in our congregation. If you worship once, we will give you a form to fill out so we can make you a, a beautiful name tag. Um, and if it's your first time and you haven't had a chance to fill out that form, we make you a temporary name tag. Um, but our goal is before someone even comes in the door, we want them to know that, hey, we take seriously their presence here and we want them to feel welcome at worship. Um, once people are welcomed into worship, our next step is to gather them with community. And so a real big push uh, the past few years here has been uh, helping people connect with small groups. Hmm. Um, and so right, the, our small groups take all sorts of shapes and sizes but the purpose of every single one of them is to help connect people with God and to help people connect with each other. Mm. Um, and so, right, um, we've got all sorts of small groups. We've got some that are straight up Bible studies. Um, and then we've got some Bible studies, uh, like I'm a part of one uh, that's called the Working Dads Bible Study. So every other Monday night at 8 p.m. after we have put our kids to bed, uh, and that way our spouses don't get mad at us for leaving uh, uh, them with our their kids, our kids. Uh, then the dads go and and we meet at each other's homes and uh, we're slowly working our way through First Samuel right now. Um, mm. But it's a time where we connect with each other, we connect with scripture, we pray for each other. Um, we've got other small groups. We've got a wilderness worship group where once a month uh, we go on a hike or we go swimming or we float down the Sacramento. That's what we did in September. Um, and we have some time of uh, prayer and read a little scripture as we do that. Um, but uh, the goal with all those is to say, hey, we want you to be connected to another human being, right? If Jesus is, says all the, the law and the prophets are summed up in love God and love your neighbor, let's, let's learn to love your neighbor in a very tangible way. Mm. Um, and yeah. also to feel that love yourself, right? As Lutherans, we believe that if, if you want love to come out of someone, you got to put love into someone. And so this is one of those ways in which beyond Sunday morning, we put love into people. Mm. And the hope is having experienced that sense of connection uh, that comes from these intentional small groups, people realize they want to give back, that they want to do more with their life. And so our next step in that virtuous circle is to equip people for purpose. Uh, so we've got a, a team that's called our equipping ministry team, uh, and their goal is to equip the saints for ministry uh, by helping people identify what their spiritual gifts are. To say each and every one of us has been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit um, with gifts and talents and passions for the sake of the whole body of Christ. And so 
um, we have members of this team that meets uh, certainly with every new person, but we're trying to work our way back through our existing members. And, uh, you know, there's a spiritual gift inventory. Um, but then after taking that inventory, you know, someone sits down with a person one-on-one -on -one and talks through, okay, like, you've got a, a passion for hospitality, but what does that actually mean, right? Do you want to serve coffee hour? Is that what that means? Do you want to host a small group in your home? Is that what that means? Uh, we've got a funeral team. So like, maybe it means that when someone dies and their family is in grief and we have a, a service for them afterwards, you help prepare the luncheon so that the, the family has a place to connect with loved ones uh, without worrying about those logistics, right? Having a spiritual gift of hospitality can manifest itself in many ways. And so we want to actually make sure we find what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do with those specific gifts. And we've actually, we have a whole uh, booklet. Oh, oh, I should have thought about it. Um, it's a pretty massive, it's like a 60 page booklet. And it has within it a description of every type of ministry, every ministry role here in the congregation, right? Mm. Everything from uh, being assisting minister on Sunday morning to being part of the sacristy team, preparing communion, uh, to being part of our gardening team, uh, to helping with our drive up food bank. Um, and it has a description of every single one of those ministries that includes what the purpose of that ministry is, uh, that includes what the, you know, uh, what the ask is in terms of time and commitment. Uh, but it also describes what the spiritual gifts that are associated with that ministry are mm. and who you would contact if you wanted to be trained. Uh, to do that ministry. And so, right, once someone has had some time to think about their spiritual gifts, we go through this booklet with them and say, hey, all right, here's, uh, you've got a spiritual gift for administration, right? Here's the dozen ways in which that could be a really helpful way to serve within the congregation or through the congregation into the larger community. Do any of these speak to you? And if so, uh, let's connect you with a mentor who can help equip you to actually do that ministry so that you're not just doing it alone. Mm. Uh, and which is, of course, the next step, right? Once you're equipped for purpose, uh, our fourth step is to send you out to serve. Um, and so, uh, yeah, right. Maybe that's serving here at church Sunday morning. Maybe you're singing in the choir. Maybe you're our healing prayer minister who, um, during communion, prays with people one-on-one, -on -one, anoints them with healing oil. Uh, maybe you are uh, one of the folks who... Uh, serves dinner at the local shelter once a month as part of our congregation. Um, maybe you are a part of, um, we've got a, a team of folks. So we've got a house. My mom owns a house in Chico, but she doesn't live in Chico. And so what she does is she rents it out at cost to a local organization called the Chico Housing Action Team. Uh, and it's a four bedroom house. So what they do is they sublet the house to women with long-term medical needs who would otherwise be living on the street mm -hmm. so when our local hospital right has folks come in because uh, they have medical needs and sometimes uh, when it's time to discharge the person those people say well i don't actually have anywhere to go um right i'll just be out on the street which means in two days they're going to be back in the emergency room uh so rather than do that our local hospital reaches out uh to this organization and says, do you have a place for these folks? And 
this organization has many homes in Chico, but one of them is called the Mercy House. And if it's a woman who's got long-term medical needs uh, and there's room because can only hold four people at a time, uh, they come and live in the Mercy House. And we have a, a team of folks here in the congregation who every week goes and visits with them. Uh, and I, I sort of describe those folks as like RAs in a dorm, right? You've got a bunch of people living together. There's going to be uh -huh. conflict and stuff, you know, you need someone to help them work through community, through uh, living together and loving each other. And hey, that's what I feel Christ calls us to do. And so we've got a great team that goes over there and, and works with them, right? All to say, these are just some of the ways in which we want to send people out in the community to serve. And the idea is, while we're out in the community serving, people may be curious as to why, right? Uh, why do you share such love? Why do you do uh, these small things with great love? And the answer is, of course, Jesus. And we'd like to welcome you in worship to get to know him better. Uh, and so right, the cycle then, it's a cycle. It continues. At any point in the cycle, someone might hop in. Um, but this is, right, this is how we live out our mission, to be a community reflecting God's love with a place at the table for everyone. How do you, or do you specifically train people as a part of this to begin those Jesus conversations? Yeah, so um, it's an area we could grow more on. Every Lutheran church yeah, yeah. can do, like, like we're, Lutherans don't tend to be people who Fair enough. start talking about their faith. And I'm trying to change this. So this is the main way I'm trying to change it right now. Um, I have been, uh, I've done it once and I'm planning to do it again here in a few months. Um, teaching a class on how to preach. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I've created a five-week class and it's designed for lay folks, right? People in the pews in the congregation to teach them how to preach. And let's be clear. The way I'm teaching them how to preach is first and foremost a testimonial mm -hmm. that connects with the scripture uh, in the lectionary. So it's to say, uh, right, first and foremost, read the scripture, ask yourself, what is the law and what is the gospel in the scripture, right? How does this scripture reveal my brokenness and my sin? Uh, but also how does the scripture reveal God's unconditional love for me in Jesus Christ? Where have I seen that particular sin that this scripture speaks of in my own life? And where have I seen God's grace for me in the midst of that sin in my own life? And then I teach them, right, how you weave those two things together so that you can share it with someone else. Uh, and look, it, it works well for a 20-minute sermon on a Sunday morning in a congregation. But that basic skill of being able to say, hey, look, this is where I was hurting, and this is where Jesus showed up, right? That's, that is the basic skill of all evangelism. Amen. Um, and yeah. so that's how I'm going about it right now. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I, I think it's a really good idea to be able to do something like that. And, and what I think is, is really great about that is that you're asking for some vulnerability 100%. Yeah. You know, to be able to, 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 to say that sin is real <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's pain in our lives. Oh yeah. 
and and God meets us in that pain, you know, with God's unconditional love, you know, and and so that's uh, to be able to articulate that and have people articulate that. I think is a really beautiful. Uh, thing you're doing, man. That's that's great. Thank you. No, I I 100 believe it's the only way uh, to share about Jesus because if Jesus is just some philosophical concept, right? Who cares? Um, right, right. It only matters when it matters to me and my my personal life. And I and I try to model that vulnerability. Right on on Sunday morning, uh, I'm up there talking about my sins at least half the time, uh, and. Uh, the the joke in the congregation is uh, right, every time Pastor Ben screws up, uh, he gets another sermon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really great. That's really great, and and good for you for modeling that because there is a there is a a pastoral kind of uh, ethos out there that says we don't talk about ourselves at all, you know, or we don't you know we don't share any personalness of our lives. And, and I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that ethos. <laughs> you sure. know, I think, yeah. I think we have to be able to, to share ourselves and our faiths, you know, and that involves the brokenness, right? Of course. It, and if I can't, if I can't model to the congregation, uh, that Jesus is my savior, right? Why in the world should they think that Jesus will be their savior? Mm. Right. Um, I just had something happen yesterday, Ben. Yeah. Where where I kind of you know I, I my thinking was wrong. I I was a little you know my thinking was wrong about about my finance team, oh, okay. and so I went to several members and I said, "Hey, I'm really uncomfortable with with something here," and and those people corrected me. They mm. you know and they're like, "Well, why are you framing?" Why are you framing it like that? And, and 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 as they're speaking, I'm thinking, of course they're right. You know, of course these people are framing it in a more loving, more um, like eighth commandment Luther thing than I am. And, and and I said I had to say, you know what? You guys are right. I was framing this wrong. I'm sorry. Thank you for being the voice of God to me today. I I really appreciate that because I came in here. I came in here wrong. Right. And well, and 100% right. I say, look, I preach to the congregation once a week for 20 minutes. They preach to me every single day, seven days a week. Mm, yeah, mm. Like that's that's where I see God's grace every single day. Yeah. Indeed. People, uh, of faith Lutheran. Yeah. And, and some what people are, are uncomfortable with that, with the pastors being sinners. And, and you know, <laughs> some people are really uncomfortable with that. I know, right? <laughs> Got bad news for you, <laughs> right? Hundred percent. Oh, is there anything in your congregation that you're like? I mean, you've you've given us a cool outline of how you all do ministry, and, yeah. and that that Mercy House sounds amazing. Is there anything else that you're like really particularly proud of that in your tenure at at Faith that you've done? Yeah. Oh man, that I've done. Uh, let, or your congregation that, yeah, has done see that, that yeah, we've yeah. done you know yeah. um lots of really cool things so uh you know we um have the unfortunate distinction of being the city in this region of california 
that never gets directly affected by our natural disasters. Uh, but what that means is we're the only place that's not affected by the natural disasters. And so where ev everyone else is, and where do they come? They come mm. to Chico. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you all heard about the Oroville Dam spillway uh, a few years back, oh, yeah. right? When you know the largest, the tallest earthenworks dam nearly collapsed. Uh, and so like, half the county had to evacuate and tons of them came here. And then of course, the campfire up in Paradise, right? Paradise mm. is our closest city. And so um, they all had to come through Chico. Um, and the ways in which this congregation stepped up during those things was incredible, right? Uh, parishioners took in, took in so many folks into their homes following the campfire. Um, you know, we were blessed to host Paradise Lutheran Church here and have them worship with us uh, for months before they could return back up the hill to paradise. Uh, and, and from those events, we were able to partner with ministry partners. So uh, there was a company that was just like, we wanna give away a free mattress to every single person who lost one in the campfire. Whoa. And so they're like, but like, that's going to take some massive coordination and distribution to do. And uh, like members of our congregation uh, signed up and said, yeah, we'll make this happen. And so like literally there is a woman in our congregation who her personal phone number was the number listed for like, if you want a free mattress, call this number. And she is like, you know, getting dozens and dozens of calls every single day and like trying to verify that they were truly uh, affected by the campfire and then schedule them to get mattresses. And then uh, we would have mattress distribution days where semis, like five semis would roll up on a Saturday, just full of mattresses, hundreds of mattresses. And our congregation would, you know, direct traffic through and we would just haul mattresses out and load them up into people's cars and trucks. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years. Um, and now uh, one of the other things that came out of uh, the campfire was we actually partner uh, with the food bank of Contra Costa and Solano County. And they sh they bring food up here. Uh, that's a whole different yeah. conversation as to why. But um, they bring food up here. And once again, we distribute it. Um, and so, yeah, we you know, uh, semi rolls up full of food. We direct traffic, you know, take the food out, uh, distribute it to people. And not only folks within our congregation do this, right? I'm really proud. We've got a, a, a local community center here that's a, a place for adults with disabilities, you know, a place where they can go during the day and have connection and community and uh enrichment and so we we partnered with them and so one of the things we do together is uh, they have a big been a big part of that ministry also um so yeah stuff uh you know stuff like that really really Contra Costa? Contra yeah. Costa, that's my county we're, I know, we're like i know yeah, yeah three hours away from yeah. each other i wow I, wow yeah. um grateful for them that's for sure indeed yeah. indeed yeah. So, so you're, you're, you know, our synod is so 
big geographically. Oh, yeah. And and there are like clusters. There's like the Sacramento cluster of churches. There's sure. the Bay Area. Yeah, what, yeah. what what do you want the the kind of churches that are close to each other to know about ministry in your setting where it, it I don't know if remote is the right word but but where they're further apart yeah where we're further apart um you know one of the things I'm really proud of is here in Chico there aren't a lot of congregations that are fully welcoming of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, Faith Lutheran is, and vocally so. And to say uh, the ELCA has a presence in small town America, in rural America, and it is a place, uh, because the ELCA is present here, there is a place where people know they can come and be safe and be loved um and right i'm so grateful to be a part of that mm, mm. do you have mm. much friction with parts of the community because of that because you all are outspoken or or do they really kind of just keep that to themselves yeah they mostly just keep it to themselves i mean you know we had a a rainbow flag stolen that kind of thing mm. um no like the thing about small towns is at the end of the day, you got to live with each other. Hmm. Yeah. And look, Chico's actually not that it's grown. Even in the time I've been here, it's grown dramatically in large part because after the campfire, a third of all the housing in the County burned down. And so people just had to move to Chico. Um, but to say, I think Chico still in many ways functions as a small town because uh, while we have about 100,000 people here, it's not like there's a lot of large communities anywhere nearby. And so, you know, unlike the Bay Area where there's a town of 100,000 people, but literally there's another town of 100,000 people, you know, two miles away. Uh, that's not the case here. And so it is kind of like, well, um, I disagree with your theology or your politics, but at the end of the day, right, you're the ones who are distributing the mattresses and our folks need some mattresses. So yeah, like we're going to go over there and get our mattresses and, uh, you know, yeah, I think people see the work we do in the community and they know we're not here to, uh, just push one agenda that we're actually trying to live out Christ's love as we understand it. And so even if they disagree with us, I think they respect us. Yeah. Okay, this is, I think, getting to our last question. Okay. Um, uh, what is your favorite? Well, this is switching gears a little bit. We're uh, gonna go. Uh, uh, what is your favorite part of Lutheran theology? Oh, yeah, man. Um, to narrow it down so much. Okay, I, I mean, right, like at its core, the the message that uh we are simultaneously sinners and saints right that not a single person is perfect in this world and yet god loves each and every one of us unconditionally um i, I think that is the most profound truth um and you know so much of lutheran theology is built from that truth right the way we read scripture reading scripture looking for the law and the gospel 
rather than I think you know so much confusion around scripture comes from people trying to use it for something other than those things. Hmm. Um, but to say it gives us a clarity of uh, how we read scripture. I think it also gives us a lot of clarity on how we treat people, not only as individual Lutherans or as a church, but I, I think it has a lot of wisdom for our society as a whole where too often we attempt to demonize people as holy evil or valorize people as uh, holy good. And, and I feel like our society really struggles uh, when they discover that maybe someone they thought was good has some part of them that they don't like. And it's, you know, they're shocked by this. And it's like, well, <laughs> this is a, a basic truth of humanity. Um, yeah, I love that. I also love our Eucharistic theology. Um, uh, right the Luther's conversation with Zwingli is one of my favorite stories uh, to share with people uh, where so for those of you who don't have that context right yeah um, Martin Luther uh, German reformer uh, Zwingli uh, a Swiss reformer who would eventually become part of what's sort of the Calvinist tradition uh, Luther and Zwingli get together to see if Lutherans and the Reformed, what would become sort of the Calvinist tradition, could work together. And they agree on every single point of theology until they get to communion. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Zwingli says, hey, Luther, we all agree that the, the Roman Catholics and their transubstantiation, that's just silly, right? And Luther's like, oh, yeah, totally. And Zwingli says, because, because Jesus isn't in the bread. And Luther says, wait, what? And, and Zwingli says, oh, yeah, it's just a metaphor, right? And Luther says, no. And Luther literally takes out a knife and carves into the table Jesus's words, this is my body, right? He's like, Jesus said, this is my body. I'm going to believe him on this. And, and Zwingli says, but Luther, the scripture and the creeds all agree that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. If Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, how can he be in our bread? And Luther says, Swingley, where is God's right hand? Is it in a cloud? Like, is it up in the sky somewhere? No, Swingley, Luther's right, or God's right hand is wherever God's power is at work, wherever, uh, wherever God is present and powerful, which is to say everywhere. That is where Christ's body is present. God's body is present in every single place, but so that we don't have to grope blindly behind every bush and under every rock. Jesus promises us that we will find him here in this bread and here in this cup, no matter what. Yeah. So, so for me, that, that idea that, that Jesus is physically present everywhere, we just can't see him. And that, you know, communion is the road to Emmaus, where in the breaking of the bread, our eyes are opened and we see Jesus where he always was, mm -hmm. there with us and in us. Um, I also love that about Lutheran theology. Um, but the Satan sinner thing, it probably is my number one. Amen to all of that. Thanks, man. It, yeah. And Ben, we ask everybody the oh, same yeah. questions to yes. end our interviews. Uh, and so are you ready for it? I've uh, I've heard you do this 11 times. So yes, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I think you're the actual only person who has heard these questions before we gave them. Yeah. So right. let's go. Um, which food can you eat every day? Sushi. 
What's your favorite movie genre? Sci-fi or um, pre-industrial revolution historical drama. Okay. Uh, salty, sweet, or savory? Sweet. In addition to the Bible, which uh, book would you want to take with you on a deserted island? The Boy Scout Handbook. What fills your cup? Gratitude. What depletes your cup? Complaining. What's your favorite holy place? Salmon hole, uh, uh, a swimming hole in the Big Chico Creek in Upper Bidwell Park where uh, you can swim in the summer and literally watch the salmon go past you. Hmm. Uh, what is one piece of good advice that you've been given? Be faithful in small things so that you can be faithful in big things. Hmm. What does rest look like for you? Swimming, swimming in a creek. And on that last day when uh, you enter heaven, what do you hope God will say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Everybody, this has been Pastor Ben Colahan of Faith Lutheran Chico. Thanks for listening. Thank you all for having me.